Hello and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation from academic discussions happening in our journal to interviews with filmmakers and artists and global perspectives on health and medicine from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and to the humanities because life happens at the intersections. Welcome back to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Today, I'm very happy to be bringing on Cheryl Green. Cheryl is a captioner, audio describer, freelance audio and video producer, and member owner at New Day Films, who has acquired invisible disabilities that inform her work around making media equitable and accessible. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cheryl. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to hear more about your audio work, um, particularly because I think so often we produce content and then only later as an afterthought think about its accessibility. A good example being I uh, was late to the game in adding captions to the videos we do for medical humanities. So I wonder, what is it like to have that at the forefront as you develop something? Oh, that's such a nice question. Um, Most of my clients uh, do it the traditional way, which is to make their media, whether it's a podcast or a video. And then later when they realize that they have to add some piece of accessibility, they kind of, some people grudgingly, some people happily, will then look into figuring out how they add that. And most people end up needing to go a budget route, which I understand very much. I mean, everything I do is, um, I'm an independent media producer. Everything I do is freelance contract work. I understand budgets very well. But I also understand that um, when we go for the most budget option of adding access, it's usually really crappy. (laughs) I think that when the focus is on compliance, oh, look, I added the captions. When we focus on compliance and we don't focus on quality and equity and why, like the heart behind why you would have access, we end up with um, mostly very inaccurate, super error-filled, really low-quality crap. I mean, um, Ricky Pointer is a deaf YouTuber who coined the word craptions. (laughs) To refer to what people call the auto-generated captions on YouTube, Mm -hmm. they're not their subtitles, their auto subtitles, but they're craptions. They are absolute crap. And a lot of the, um, a lot of what happens when you don't account for access at the beginning and you have to go with one of these companies is even when it's done by a human, it, they're absolute craptions. A lot of my workload is recaptioning people's films. Right. Um, it's awful, but I'm also a content creator. And so for me, when I release my podcast or, um, I am also an editor and producer on two other podcasts. The audio does not go out until the transcript is done. Like, even though it's a podcast, it's not considered to be finished at all after the audio editing is done. There has to be the text transcript and um, and provided in multiple ways. A downloadable PDF, which is not always accessible to screen readers. So, you know, you might want to also do a Word document or Google Doc or paste it directly onto the website. Um, So I feel for people on a budget, but I think it's more about shifting the mindset and shifting the paradigm to saying this piece of content 
actually literally is not finished until we've added the access that we plan to add. Some of my clients, I'll find out six months later that they had some podcasts out they didn't tell me about and they're waiting for a transcript or on the flip side, I'll submit transcripts and nearly a year goes by before they mention, oh, uh, I'm about ready to upload your transcripts. I'm like, it's literally control C, control V. It, can't, <laughs> it doesn't take you a year. Yeah. And, and I think that that gets us back to that idea of what perspective are, are you coming from, right? So when you have somebody who creates work and they are thinking of an audience principally made up of, um, you know, sighted, uh, people who have hearing, you know, when they, they think about an audience that does not actually have ability issues, then accessibility ends up being something that's taken as read. And uh, our theme this year at Medical Humanities is about what does accessibility mean? Like, it's, it's a much broader concept. It's not just, is there a ramp? Are there captions? It's, have you thought about this community that you are participating with? Have you made them part of your community, even more important? Um, so I wonder, could you respond to that partly by telling us more about your audio work uh, that you've done? You said you're a producer, I think, or um, on two different podcasts? Yes. Uh, so three, one is my own podcast, Pigeonhole, where I do everything. I do the recording, the engineering, editing, production. One-stop shop. <laughs> One-stop shop. Um, I do the transcripts myself. I do, uh, the blog posts, the all that's, I would say I promote it, but I don't because oh, no. my life's downfall is I am uh, one of the worst marketers you'll ever meet on anything. So I put my stuff out there, but you know, maybe, maybe somebody finds it. Maybe they don't, but well, I, I think we'll, we'll make sure we have a link on the blog that is attended to this podcast so that everybody can find you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I also edit the audio and do the transcripts um, for Disart's podcast. Disart is out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they have a podcast called Dystopia. Which I can't get over that name. I love it so much. They hired me because they are doing a special series um, that's related to COVID-19 life. It is kind of like oral history, really, um, but centered in this moment. So I edit those and transcribe those um, episodes. And then I'm one of the editors on Alice Wong's Disability Visibility podcast with, right. with her for a few years. And um, hello to my boss, Alice Wong. <laughs> and I also do all the transcripts for all the episodes uh, for that. And then I can't remember um, if there was some other part of the question that you asked. Oh, um, just huh? in those situations where the community the, the, the disability community is part of the larger community that you are intentionally reaching out to. Can you talk about how that changes the perspective? So and what I mean by that is so often, um, in addition to the, this concept of craptions, which I love, a lot of times even really well-intentioned, well-meaning people don't go far enough because they, they actually aren't in communication with those communities. They don't know what it takes to really be accessible. And so you had mentioned briefly about even the kinds of downloads of transcripts are important to the story. Could you say more about in something like disability visibility, um, where you know that that's your audience, how does that change the way you approach sort of from the ground up? I would just be interested to know, how does that look to those of us who are trying to do it right, but kind of coming from the other side? Sure. So I think the first step is kind of conceptual, and that is to say, have I thought about who's in my audience? Mm. 
like, because you mentioned earlier, oh, people don't think about disability community. I think where it starts is people don't even ask themselves whether they are being super normative or not. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got a podcast about um, environmentalism. So environmentalists will like that. Great. Here we go. Okay. Well, there are environmentalists who need transcripts, but you stopped when you just said the topic of your show. So, um, and a lot of people think that only disability related content should be made accessible, which uh, never ceases to blow my mind. Yeah. So for me, it starts with the concept of asking who is your audience? And I can't speak for Alice and Disability Visibility Podcast, but I can say for mine, I don't care one bit if non-disabled muggles check out my podcast ever. I mm -hmm. really, my podcast is kind of weird and very insider. I have had people say, I don't know what that, what that, it feels so insider. I feel like I don't get it. I'm like, okay, well then it's not for you. I, I, mm. um, I don't aspire to make something that everybody will like. My thing is for a targeted audience. It's for deaf mm -hmm. and disabled, very politicized community. It's not necessarily even for the impairment based communities that I identify with because mm -hmm. it's not a medical focused show. And I think that a lot of people with my same diagnoses and impairments can't even relate to the show because it's not about those topics. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm sort of talking myself into a circle. Okay. So there's the, <laughs> there's the concept of who might possibly be in the audience I want to reach. Right. Right. I guess conceptually, it's always a good question as a creator who might be able to access this and who is not going to be able to access this and why. So one reason right. people can't access your work is because they don't have a, a good enough internet connection. But another pe reason people can't access your work is because you did not provide it in a way that they can access. And that's another mm. shift. We need to move away from saying, oh, people with this disability can't do this thing and access my show. And we need to focus more on creators, what can you do to make your show accessible? Rather than right. focusing on what you think someone can or can't do, how much access can you provide? How much are you willing to? Right. And how far will you go to find high quality access? Because if you put effort into making a beautiful piece and you pay top dollar or even medium dollar for the editors and color correction and sound sweetening, all this stuff, why would you go with budget access? Why mm -hmm. do you think that um, that for someone who can only access your film by reading the captions, why would you think that giving them substandard and inaccurate captions right. is good? Like that actually, they're going to have a bad experience with your film, but people who don't need captions might have an excellent experience with right. it. And, so that's what we need to do is start by asking those questions and then figure out the budget. If you mm -hmm. can't afford captions, is there something else you can cut corners on so that mm -hmm. you can afford the captions? Rather than treating that like the add-on that is sacrificable, I, I see what you're saying. And, and in a way, it's your point about you know your audience really well for your podcast and you know who you're aiming for. Uh, and it's it's a community of disabled people, people who are interested in who are themselves disabled and you said it's not even every kind of disability but you know who they are and you're providing access 
to those people, but you're not excluding. It's not as though someone who didn't have a disability couldn't access your podcast. They could access it. They might not understand it. The problem that we have with these others is that you never get to the point of finding out if they understand the content, they can't even access it. Right, right. And I, I did an episode actually on my podcast about transcripts for radio and why we need them. And it was based on a real conversation where I talked to another um, audio professional who said he had transcripts of his stuff. I'm like, oh, finally, yay. Uh, do you post your transcripts? He's like, no, why, why would I do that? Oh, my. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of a slow thinker a lot of the time. So I, what I failed to realize was he has transcripts so that he can edit his interviews down and edit his content down. And mm -hmm. I was like, but literally, I don't understand why you would have transcripts and not post them. So now, three years later, I understand why. But he, he said, no, I don't post transcripts. And I'm like, well, what about, for example, deaf people? And he's like, I don't think deaf people would be interested in, in my show. And, <laughs> and then turned his body away from me to end the conversation. We were at a group dinner thing. And that inspired me to, in tears, come home and do a whole episode about transcripts. And I interviewed all these people. And a lot of people are like, we do transcripts for deaf people. And I think stop virtue signaling and patting yourself on the back. Deaf people are not the only people who use transcripts. Mm -hmm. And if you do that kind of virtue signaling where you name this one group because they're a group that everybody's familiar with, you're actually showing that you're focused on yourself. You're not focused on equitable access. Just say you have transcripts. We have trans anybody who wants to use them can and should be able to. They're not transcripts just for deaf people. It doesn't make any sense. It's fine to pick a group and use it as an example. You know, I said to this guy, what about deaf people? But there are so many other people in, in this interview I or in this episode I did on transcripts. I interviewed all sorts of people who don't identify as deaf, but can't partake of content that's not transcribed. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was a fun episode to do. It was a, an angering episode, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this, is, this gets back to another point that I have about accessibility. And I'm going to sort of take a long way around to get to what I'm trying to say, which is when we talk about patients, for instance, if you say patients, Dr. Lewis is medical humanities. And so often you'll have people describe the experience of a patient versus the experience of a doctor. We've largely moved away from that uh, as much as we can anyway at uh, medical humanities, not because we want to make that invisible, but because patient is a category that is one tiny fraction of your life. You might be a patient, but you're also a violinist, um, you know, a gourmet chef, you're a whole human being. And so we've, we've really moved more towards looking at the public, right? So how do we, how do we reach the public? And in a way, I feel like accessibility is similar. If you're just looking at accessibility as in, I am correcting this missing thing, i.e. I am providing transcripts for the deaf, like you said, the, the ones who signal it, then really the focus is on the, the missing thing. It's, it's sort of a taking the negative approach instead of the positive approach. It's sort of like looking at it, someone as a patient as opposed to an entire human being that may also be a patient. So I wonder, um, I may be making this needlessly complex, but I feel that accessibility is something to focus on in and of itself to make things accessible because we're all part of this community that has varying needs, as opposed to this kind of narrowing down. Um, is that kind of what you're what you're saying there too? 
this concept of the opening out of access that you should provide these things because you should provide them because they're a necessary part. You know, the podcast isn't done until there's a transit. This concept that the accessibility factor is not about you picking a community and saying, well, we're letting them in, but as is actually this, all of our communication, all of our work in podcasts and audio and, and video too, is supposed to be accessible because it just should be, not because we're trying to fix a specific problem, but because blanket wide accessibility is important. Yes. I need to pause because my screensaver came on and it's hurting my eyes. Oh. So I just need to remember my password so I can unlock my computer. Oh, no. <laughs> what that reminded me of is that there is, in a lot of these accessibility conversations, and I was even in one recently, there's still, here's one piece that's missing, is in larger conversations, especially with people outside uh, disability community and disability arts, there's still an assumption that I'm coming across that we should make stuff accessible to uh, deaf and disabled audiences. And they leave out the whole thing about disabled creators. Mm. And so um, here I am talking to you right now. And once my screen went to sleep and the screensaver came on, I couldn't really even speak to you mm. because I don't like that screensaver. I don't know how to change it. I suppose I could look it up, but um, uh, I, I have to do different things to help me concentrate because of my mm -hmm. disability. And this thing became a distraction to where I couldn't even participate in my own interview. And so when we're making stuff accessible, it's also for deaf and disabled creators who need to always be, be considered leaders. And, and one of the things that I love about what you said, where we're not gonna talk about patients and doctors as these two separate groups, Another beautiful thing about that is that you do have deaf and disabled doctors and exactly. providers of different kinds. And so it doesn't help to divide. There are doctors who are patients. And so yes. some of the choices that I make in my sound design are for me. Mm. And I hope that other people who have auditory processing struggles or concentration struggles or hearing sensitivity, um, I think about them too, of course, but I'm not going to put something in that I can't tolerate. And, and that helps me think about other people. Okay. You know what? These lights are flashing too bright. I can't have that. If I editing this video can't tolerate to look at that, there are other people who not only can't tolerate it, but even worse than can't mm. tolerate it. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is also a disabled aesthetic that can open up that by its nature is more accessible because it's accommodating. So you're never going to hear a podcast of mine with people talking and a music with a driving percussion under it. It's just never going to happen on my show because I can't tolerate that. <laughs> and so part of my aesthetic ends up just being an accessibility aesthetic or mm -hmm. a disabled aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And I no longer can remember if I'm actually answering to the question that you asked. No, you are. You are. Or you're leading somewhere more beautiful. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> what I want to grasp on to something you said here, which I think is very important, which is the creative. Hmm. And that's a positive word. And I think 
what I was trying to get at, possibly uh, not well, is that we have a tendency to look at accessibility as we look at disability as like, this will fix that hearing aid for this person, uh, eyeglasses for the, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to the creative aspects that come along with what these kinds of things can mean. So there's a positive way that says, how can I make accessibility beautiful and glorious and amazing? Instead of looking at the negative, how can I fill this gap so I don't get into trouble? <laughs> I mean, a hundred percent. Absolutely. I think my favorite parts of, well, I love captioning and audio description. Captioning is especially great because I love tedious, repetitive stuff. And you might have to watch the same film three, five, eight times to make sure the captions are as close to perfect as you can possibly make them. I love that repetitive tediousness of it. And, um, uh, but I also love, I spend a lot of time on thesaurus.com and I'll even, it's not so much dancing, but sometimes I'll hear something in a film and I can't think of the adjective to describe it. So I'll try to put the sound in my body and feel it and move my body in a way that will eventually somehow magically elicit an adjective that I want, or at least get me closer on thesaurus.com to what I want. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having this kind of blissed out creative experience of like unleashing words through spontaneous improvised movement. But I also have the joy of knowing that I didn't say slow music, slow music, slow Mm -hmm. music, slow music, like the budget captioners, if they even describe (laughs) the music at all, we're just like, will you stop saying it's slow? So if I hear slow music in a film, it sounds slow to me, I'm not going to put slow. I'm going to think about what emotion is the director evoking? Why did the director pick this particular kind of music? What does this music make me feel? Well, it's making me feel like thinking. Okay, so maybe it's pensive music. Maybe it's thoughtful music. Um, why is it slow? You know what? This time, it's the sometimes, you know, directors might use the same piece of music several times throughout the film. I mean, there's very good reasons to do that. Well, I might hear the same song twice and one time it makes me think and another time it makes me sad it's the same music but this scene feels sad so i might describe the music as i'm sure there's a better word than sad but i don't have to be literal about this song is slow what is the mood and what do i experience from the director and you know what sometimes when i don't know what's going on i just email the director what is this music how do you describe this music I'm in contact with directors all the time and, and podcasters. I, you know, I didn't understand this word. What, what did this, what did your guest say here? What did you say here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The budget access stuff, they just put inaudible. Right. So what we're saying here is that, uh, and we'll be wrapping up in just a few minutes, but I feel like one of the things that you're really coming across clearly to me is that there is a kinesthetic kind of beauty involved in creative arts that is true no matter who's creating. And I think we have a tendency to think creativity somehow goes over here and not in the realm of captions, right? But in fact, it is. This is all creative content. You know, you wouldn't describe writing a novel as slow music, slow music. Nobody does that. So, you know, so I feel that uh, what's really wonderful about this conversation, and I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as well, is that 
issues of accessibility aren't supposed to be punitive measures because you failed somewhere. They are beautiful, creative, conversant communication moments among and between different communities. And I'm so glad that you could share that with us today, Cheryl. Well, I'm so glad you described it that way because I've never described it as beautifully and eloquently as you did. And I'm so glad that's <laughs> recorded because I, I hope to be able to just take that right out of the transcript and share it with people. Attributed to you, of course, but really to describe what this is. And I think it still, to me, goes back to what you said about not separating out patients and doctors and not separating out access is over here and art is over there. And in my film, my film, Who Am I to Stop It, is about isolation, art, and transformation after tra traumatic brain injury. And I have people who say like, oh, oh, interesting film about recovery. I'm like, at what point did you ever hear the word recovery mm. or hear anyone talk about it or see it in the captions or read it in the transcript or see anything that showed that you didn't. This is a the art that happens in that film gives us access into their hearts and their minds. And sometimes it's it's a song of worship. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's protest about the, the injustice of life. Sometimes it's about internalized ableism. But to me, it all wraps up all of these things are wrapped up and um, to separate anything out into these mm -hmm. discrete parts, like we're not doing a scientific experiment here. We're not doing a randomized control trial. We right. are talking about, like you said, communication, yeah. human beings communicating and using um, arts and media to do so and to try to separate people out even into creator versus audience. Um, it doesn't really serve. And I think this more integrated kind of flowy way is a much more satisfying and fun way to do it. Yes. Thank you so much, Cheryl. This is wonderful. Again, to our listeners, uh, there will be a transcript. All of our podcasts are also promoted on the blog, and we'll have some links there that go out to some of the podcasts and other materials that Cheryl Green has talked about today. So again, thank you for listening and join us again at the Medical Humanities Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Stay in touch by reading the journal or our blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We're also on Twitter at medhams underscore BMJ or find us on Facebook. Facebook.